Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Yvette Durazo, who is a workplace conflict management consultant, also known as the external chief civility officer, which is the expert a company needs to create a harmonious workplace. She solves issues with coworkers so that they can focus on the goals of the organization and increase performance. She is also the author of the book, Conflict Intelligence, or Conflict IQ, the missing piece to turbocharge leaders and organizations' emotional intelligence, and is the principal consultant of Unitive Consulting, a workplace organizational effectiveness, strategic conflict management, and leadership development firm. We have so much to talk about today, Yvette, so let's get right into this and welcome. Thank you, Summer, for inviting me over. I'm so excited to be in Core Women. Oh, my pleasure. So before we jump into your professional background, because it's incredible, you have an incredible professional background, can you describe your journey thus far in one word? My journey it has been a journey of probably a lot of women, you know, and we're we struggle with societal culture and many things that go against that, but we just continue moving forward. Now, if you were to sum that all up in one word, what would that be? Inspiring. Oh, okay. Tell me more. Being inspired to really be a value to your community, being a value to your your fellow coworkers or fellow colleagues. That is where, where I find my strength to be an inspiration, to be able to bring something that will inspire other people and also to be an example of inspiration for other women, for other people. Awesome. Okay. I love that. To be inspiring, to gain inspiration from others. And that really is about community, right? I, I yes. just love that. So tell us more about what you do as a workplace conflict management consultant. What does that entail? What is that about? Companies will call and will ask if I can come and do an assessment of what's going on in their in their companies. And then after I do the assessment, then I figure it out. What is it that it's the most uh, valuable and less expensive tool that they can use in order to be able to resolve the issues that are in the workplace? As you probably already know, a lot of organizations and a lot of people in the community think that, in, you know, lawyers are the only ones that resolve conflict. But lawyers tend to be very expensive, right? And especially if they're prolonging conflict because it's of interest to them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the contrary, the specialty that I have is to really cut through the chase and really help organizations to function to the best performance that they can bringing, you know, civility, bringing peace and harmony to the workplace and create a culture of where people can get along with each other. You know, obviously not 
to be best friends, but to get along with each other so that they can focus on the most important goals and objectives of the organization. Yeah, okay, I love that. So workplace conflict management consultant. Absolutely love what you're doing out there, how companies can connect with you and you can do that evaluation. I call that a health and wellness evaluation. And to me, that can be personal, that can be related to a company, an organization, and that is so important. And until you do that, you don't really understand how they're functioning. So you can jump in with a theory or you can jump in with some practical advice. However, if you don't do that evaluation first, which is what I love that you do, it really calls out and helps you better understand the functioning dynamics of that culture. So... I love that you're doing that out there. It is so important. So one of the tools that you have to offer both professionals, companies, organizations, you are the author of the book, Conflict Intelligence, Conflict IQ, the missing piece to turbocharged leaders and organizations, emotional intelligence. Tell us a bit more about your book. Thank you. And actually, you hit it on the nail when you mentioned, you know, health and wellness. Because at the end of the day, if people are in conflict or they have issues with other people, it tends to eventually affect health. And I can relate that in my book because I I mentioned, you know, one of the case studies, it was about me and, and how is it that not only through me going through a master's degree and learning about this field really helped me with the become a specialist of SIM, but also having my own personal experiences and how is it that it leads me to lose my health because I was dealing with bullying, I was dealing with clicks, I was dealing with micromanagers. And not only do I bring that value to the organizations as knowledge base, but I also have it experience experience base and I bring wise uh, advice because I know what it is that indeed people and people do get sick when they don't deal with the conflict when they go into an environment that feels not safe that feels hostile and, and it's not inclusive so that's part of what what I bring in that book and and it's a methodology of how I I work with professionals to bring them to a state in where they don't fear conflict. A lot of us feel conflict because we don't want to experience the energy and the reaction that others will have, or perhaps what we will have, right? Because we just don't know how to deal with it. And don't get me wrong, not all the conflict can be resolved, but I work with you to learn how to manage the conflict as well. It's not about only resolving, but also how to manage how to become more intelligent so that you can address the difficult conversations, the high stake conversations, you know, performance evaluations that a lot of people fear in the workplace to give. You know, sometimes in organizations, people are asked to give feedback to coworkers and they fear to do that because they just don't know how to do it because they fear the reaction of other people. Everybody, we all have brains. We all are scared to receive negative feedback. We are all are scared to perhaps not feeling adequate or feeling defensive because you feel that they're hurting your feelings, your emotions, 
and and you react to things in in a way that it's not conducive to focus on your work. It's not conducive to work in collaboration with your team. So I go in and I reduce that. I remove it and I and I bring tools in order for these individuals to work. You know, to focus in the work to towards the goals and objectives of the organization. Okay, you mentioned so many critical factors here, so many wonderful things here. And I'm gonna go through some of the things that I bulleted here because I think they're important to highlight from what you just said. So one of the things that you brought forward in this book was both your expertise and your personal experience. I love that. So what you're saying and how you're imposing that in this book is you're bringing forth the quantitative and the qualitative, right? And so you're bringing forth the data, but you're also bringing forth the story. And Mm -hmm. if you ever go into a doctor's office, they'll ask you before you go into the doctor's office to fill out forms and you check a bunch of boxes and you check those boxes because those are demographics that they're going to put into the computer and they're going to digitize everything and bring up the numbers. That's the quantitative. So that's the quantitative analysis and data that they need. Who are we treating? How are we treating them? Is it effective? Those kinds of things. Those are the results. Then we get the qualitative approach. And the qualitative approach is the story. And when you walk into that doctor's office, you sit down and the doctor says, so how are you doing today? Tell me a little bit more. Explain how that feels. And you get into the detail. That's the qualitative. So I love that you bring that balance, that expertise and that wisdom. So valuable. Then you mentioned some of the things that happen in the workplace when you don't address these issues. Retention, lack of retention, people leaving, people getting sick. This stuff, this anxiety, this difficulty, it manifests in certain ways. And a lot of times that's in our personal wellness. That Mm -hmm. is in the wellness of an organization. So when I go into an organization, just like you, we look at and evaluate the wellness. And that's what we really do. When we break it down, we're looking at how is this manifesting in that organization? How can you better identify what's happening? So I love that you touch on that component. Here's another one, which is so important. Reaction versus response. So how do you react or versus respond versus react. So when you're looking at your long-term goal, is that based on a reaction or is that based on a response? Now, the response is I'm going to give myself a moment to step back, take a breather, do some reflection, and look at my end goal. The reaction is impulsive. So I love that you mentioned that too. And then the emotional intelligence, the difficult conversations. You know, none of us like conflict. Conflict isn't fun. And yet it's our perception, our mindset, how we approach it, how we're kind, how we're empathic. And many times, quite honestly, Yvette, people don't know those first steps. So that's why it's so important for someone like you to go into the company and teach those first steps, open up the doorway and the pathways to better understanding how you can respond versus react, how you can minimize that fear of having those difficult conversations. So I want to just give you a 
<laughs> Brava, because seriously, the things that you mentioned as I was listening to you, I could bullet point these things and go, yes, these are so valuable. This is so important. So thank you so much for writing a book that is really addressing conflict IQ and really breaking that down as to what that means and how you can help others support their wellness in their company or personally. So let me ask you something. When you wrote this book and you sat down and you were thinking about some of the most critical aspects of conflict intelligence, what inspired you? What was the impetus for the book? Well, you know, everything started, I graduated in 2011. I opened up my consulting business and and started going out, working with professionals, you know, giving a lot of presentations in the community. And years passed and I realized that I was, when I was working with clients, sometimes I would do the assessment of the uh, emotional intelligence. And, and many of these clients would be fairly, fairly high in emotional intelligence, but they were still having that fear of conflict. So that is when I realized that having emotional intelligence is good. It's a, it's a great thing to, to be aware of it. But yet there was still that gap in between people and how to get them to not be be afraid of conflict and be able to harness conflict in the workplace in order to transform that conflict into something positive. You know, because not all conflict is bad. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you, you know, obviously the toxic and the emotional conflict is the one that is bad. Uh, If people can learn how to transcend and, and bring that conflict into a space you know, where it's more of a cognitive conflict and where people are looking at the situation of the issues of the problem instead of attacking people, then, then you can have the ability to transform, you know, that energy of conflict into something that it's a fuel for organizations to be more innovative, a fuel for organizations to be able to do a much better job, not only to give the praise service that they're giving into the community, but also have better employees, happier employees, employees that will be loyal, that will also bring that into the community, bring that into their families. So that's what inspired me that here I am going in with this book or with this, you know, information and this knowledge that I have and this wisdom from all my own personal experience, that knowing that by planting that seed, Not only am I impacting the professional, but that professional will impact their families and the communities that they live on. Because, you know, what I'm bringing to them, it's not not a skill necessary, but an interpersonal transformation that will help them, you know, to address different types of conflicts. You know, if you go to certain professionals, to certain therapists, they'll probably give you a framework or perhaps gives you a, you know, a way of how to deal with certain conflicts, right? Yeah. But then that particular way of dealing with that will not help you or will not be able to address all other conflicts. And what I'm intending to do here is to really equip you from, you know, from your inner self, you know, senior self skills, and then behavioral modifications so that you can go out into the world and be able to feel very confident, to feel 
comfortable around situations like that, that instead of hiding from it and running away from it, you you step in and you work on, you know, harnessing the conflict and transforming the conflict. Yeah, I love that. There's a couple of things that I want to address here because you're talking about really when you first started mentioning this about an ecosystem, right? And so you're looking at this from a micro and macro perspective. And so not only when you have wellness in your organization, you have wellness in your community because those people are taking that back to their homes, to their community, whether or not they're depressing, they're feeling good about themselves, feeling they're going to take that back into their, their family, into that store they go into, into it's going to impact the ecosystem. Yes. And that's what really inspired me to really write this book and, and to put all the effort into spending nights and nights because it took me about a year and a half. The idea was already in 2014, but it took me a year and a half to put everything together. And, and as you can see, I, I, I self-published the book. I had all my hands into the book, into the design, into the title. You know, the conflict IQ came to me a while back and I, and I was like, nobody's using this term. And I think that I could use it in my book. And I actually, a trademark conflict IQ, I trademarked because I thought, you know, this is going to be very valuable, you know, to bring to organizations, to bring trainings into organizations. And that's how it went. I love it. There's so much here. And when you also touch on the cerebral aspects, the thinking and the emotional aspects, and transcending certain things. So my question to you is, you talked about that gap. And I think a lot of times we get stuck in the thinking mode, in our in our brain, in the cerebral. And there's a lack or there's that gap between the cerebral and the heart. And yet we can let our emotions or the emotive part take over, or we can let the cerebral part. So how do you bridge that gap between bringing that together? Because a lot of times we don't want to lose our emotive components to dealing or interacting with human beings, because that's what makes us human. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times in these organizations and throughout the decades, you can see we were told there's no place for emotions. There's no place for the woo woo. There's no place for the yada, yada, yada. And yet there is a place for it. And now we're looking at there is a transformation taking place that we need to pay more attention to the emotive and understand it better so we don't have that disconnect between being too cerebral. You brought something very important that back in the days, the people skills or conflict resolution skills were called soft skills, right? Right. And and you still can hear it. They call soft skills, but yeah. they're not soft at all. You know, no. obviously they're not soft at all. They're, they're very important. They're essential skills. And that's one of the things I also talk about in the book, because I'm bringing the history as how is it that these emotionally touchy feeling type of thing were being brushed out, right? Yeah. And, and now that we had globally experienced a pandemic, globally experienced all the uh, racial injustice that has been bringing up to light, we realize that we're bringing in reality, the whole person to the workplace, even though that we're suppressing, there will be other ways as humans beings that we're going to 
we're going to suppress certain emotions, but we're going to show up in a certain way at work, right? We're going to show up in a certain way that it's not going to be uh, good for the organization and it's going to affect the performance, you know, and it's better not to suppress that, but just to bring it in and to be able to find mechanisms in order to address this. And that is what diversity, equity, inclusion is doing now. It's pushing organizations to bring these dialogues into the table. But when you bring these dialogues into the table, you also have to have very good quality facilitators that know how to bring these type of conversations. Why? Because otherwise organizations get into trouble because you know, if somebody comes in and doesn't know how to facilitate, doesn't know how to keep their own space in the space of others in order to share, then then we can have problems, right? Yeah. So going back to the idea that, you know, soft skills were not something that was talked about much at work. We also have the history of the human resource, you know, mm-hmm. the human resource still to the level of evolving and, and, and it's, you know, it's evolving as, as we're speaking based on the needs of the organization. You know, back right. in the days when in the 1930s, when HR was first brought in was when the unions were in. And then HR was pretty much paperwork, right? Doing payroll. And then it started evolving little by little. And then HR has different components. But yet, they still, well, they're working on it. And I'm I'm being part of that movement myself, not only as an instructor, but a, a chair for one of the HR programs at UC Santa Cruz Extension, in where... We're trying to bring in the humanity inside the HR field because that was was left behind. And many people don't trust HR. You you talk to any coworker or any person that works in the workplace, and the the last thing that they want to do is to go and complain to HR that something's going on because they're afraid, right? Because HR will come in and do policies and procedures based on what legal counsel has instructed them to do. And when that happens, you leave the human out of the equation. And when you leave the human out of the equation, it only goes into a process and the real situation gets never addressed. And then it becomes more toxic, right? Especially when people go in and put formal complaints to another coworker, the supervisor, they go through a almost a 90-day process of investigation. And then imagine what happens with the two people. The two people, the let's say is is one coworker and the other coworker, they're not allowed to talk to each other because that's part of the legal process, the formal process. Their emotions start, you know, piling up. People get so uncomfortable because one of them went and accused the other one and now now the other one is being investigated, right? And then at the end, either HR says the formal complaints have merits or it doesn't have merits. And that's all that they do. They send you a letter saying it had merits, didn't have merits, and that's all that they do. And then they step back. But they never address the situation with the individuals. And then what happens is that individuals keep behaving in a negative pattern and then HR, the only thing that they do, you know, if, if you're in a private sector, is that they let go of the person. And you know how much it costs to replace an employee. Not only it costs them more because they have to 
fire the person or get rid of the person, go out, spend several months in order to recruit somebody, train the person, you know, waiting till the person gets situated and onboarded. You know, imagine it takes about six months or more when you get the person and another couple of months in order to get another person to come into the workplace and work there. So, right? so it is money that is being leaking from organizations for a long time. But executives believe that HR has the solution in legal counsel because legal counsel constantly comes in and say, we're going to get sued. We're going to get sued. We're going to get sued. And in reality, if you look at it, the statistics is very rare that companies get sued. And then on top of that, it doesn't go that way. You know, it takes a while. It takes a process and it's tedious process. Yeah. But if you were to work with the humans, believe it or not, if they can amend the situation within themselves, they actually become better employees. Absolutely. If they see that the company is really taking care of, of people and really taking care of the relationship of feeling inclusive and therefore organizations start fixing their culture when they're addressing these types of things with employees, when they're addressing diversity and inclusion, when they're addressing situations where people don't get along, the performance goes up. Yeah. Loyalty go, goes up. But that's something that organizations perhaps are barely paying attention. Even though that people are working in the computers in their house, they're still dealing with the, the emotions of not being wanting sometimes to work with other coworkers. I still see it in these past two years. Mm-hmm. I still work with it with people that even though that they're in their computer, they're still dragging and don't want to go to meetings, even though that they're online because they have the emotions of not wanting to be there because yeah. there is these problem, right? Right. And conflict is inedible and it's natural. You know, we wake up every morning and we're in conflict. We're constantly negotiating things, even within ourselves. So if we bring that to not only embrace it and normalize it and find mechanisms to work with people so that they can embrace it, it will be better, right? It will be better not only for the person, their own health, but for also the communities. Like I said, it's it's from a macro to a micro. Exactly. It's so important what you're saying here because there's so much we can really hold on to and really just grow from, one, from this conversation from your book in the workplace. If we have somebody to come in and facilitate those great conversations, give us the touch points and the ideas of how can we work on this process better, bringing in the humanism, the connection between the workers having that mediation versus going into HR and feeling isolated and feeling alone in your issue. Because a lot of times, as you said, you go into HR and you're like, they're working for the interest of the company. And that's how you feel. So it's like to bring in somebody who maybe can mediate where you're taking into consideration many of the points that you addressed, such as maintaining that humanism, understanding the kindness, working on something there and now that can help those employees continue to work in an environment that is cohesive, that really focuses on a growth perspective. And yet the HR component, I get what they're doing. It needs to be there. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, 
it really disengages that human component. It really doesn't take into consideration that human component. So I love so many things you said here. We can go on and on. But if you were to give one tip about how to reduce workplace conflict, what would that tip be? You know, that executives should really embrace that conflict is inevitable. And that if you equip your employees and especially your executives to be able to deal with this type of conflict and be able to address them, the company will be more healthy. Will be, you will have happier employees. You know? Love it. Back in the days when I first started my consulting business, I was constantly having difficulty with companies who would come to me and they would say that don't even say that you're a conflict resolution specialist. Just say that you're a consultant. Don't say your specialty because companies are very afraid to say to the public that there's conflict. But that is normal, right? Yes. My last question for you as we close up the interview is, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? To embrace conflict, not to be afraid of Well, thank you, Yvette, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. You can follow Yvette Durazo on Facebook and Instagram at Unitive Consulting, on LinkedIn at Yvette Durazo, and at UnitiveConsulting.com. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great! Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love, and Money Collective, a Core Women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com. 